0: You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. We're going to be uh, wrapping up our series looking at the Trinity this morning. We've uh, Over these last uh, two or three weeks, we've been looking at the God who is three and yet one, this mysterious truth God, uh, three persons, one God. And today we're going to be in John chapter 14. We have a Bible with you. John is one of the uh, the Gospels, one of the biographies of Jesus' life, and uh, written by one of Jesus' best friends, a guy called John. John chapter 14. 14 is the big number on the page. And we're going to read together a few verses. Before we get there, what you need to know about John is that he is um, quite a theologian. Of the, the four Gospel writers, he really goes quite a lot deeper than just recording the facts. He, um, he uncovers things about Jesus for us that we might not see otherwise. And. Uh, uh, and he had great visions of Jesus. He had a great vision right at the end uh, of the Bible. We read this book, called Revelation. That was a vision that John had of uh, all that was to come. And so he has quite a lot of insight. And uh, right at the beginning of the book of John, he gives us an insight into what God is like, in that God uh, actually is a God of three distinct persons within one God. And we see right at the beginning of the book of John, John writes this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, And the Word was God. And then he goes on to say who the Word was. He says the Word was the only Son of the Father. That's Jesus. So the Word, Jesus, was a person in fellowship with God. And he was himself personally and eternally divine. This is what, God, uh, what John shows us about God at the beginning of his gospel. And as we're going to see in John chapter 14, he gives us an even greater insight as we see that God is not two distinct persons, but three distinct persons and yet one God. So we're going to read uh, verses 15 to 20 together. Jesus said this, "'If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever.'" So in this passage that we've just read together, Jesus, just before he said those words, has washed his disciples' feet. He's told them this is how you're to love one another, you're to serve one another. He's told them that he's going to be, he's going to be leaving them, he's going to be going away. And uh, in the other accounts of this meal together, we see that they break bread together, they drink wine together, which is what we're going to do later, we're going to do it with bread and with juice to remember what Jesus was uh, what he has done for us, what he was going to do for his disciples. He said, this, is, uh, this bread, it's my body, it's going to be broken for you. This wine, it's my blood, spilt for you. And uh, then he says, I'm going to go away from you, and I'm going to go and prepare a room for you in my Father's house. He says, my Father's house has many rooms. And then he says this, he's going to send another. There's a few things we, we learn about the Holy Spirit from this passage and from elsewhere in the Bible, and we're going to attempt in the next 30 minutes to... Uh, look at who the Holy Spirit is and what he does. And uh, I know that I'm not going to succeed uh, totally in that because there's so much we can know about the Holy Spirit. But there's a few things we're just going to pull out from this. this. The first point is this, that the Holy Spirit is a person. Jesus is going to leave them, but he promises a helper. Some translations say a comforter, it might say that in your Bible, or a counselor or an advocate. This states that a person... A remarkable person is on the way. A person who's going to encourage, support, strengthen is on his way. And Jesus gives this person a name in verse 26. He says this, The helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So he says this helper is the Holy Spirit. And in that verse there, in verse 26, we see the whole of the Trinity at work. We see the Father He's going to send the Spirit in the name of Jesus. So if you ever want to, uh, to give someone a verse to say that Look, God is three in one, that's a great verse to go to. Many people will say, well, what does the Bible say about the Trinity? Well, we see right there, three persons, one God. And uh, Jesus is saying this, this helper is a person. This might seem basic and elementary to some people, but uh, I do believe that for many Christians, we um, can be a little bit like um, the disciples in Ephesus. So the Apostle Paul, he comes across a bunch of uh, disciples in Ephesus in Acts 19, and he says uh, he talks about Jesus. And he says, yeah, we've heard of Jesus, but we didn't know anything about the Holy Spirit. never even heard that there was a Holy Spirit. And though we might have heard of the Holy Spirit, many of us will be in a place where we think, well, who is the Holy Spirit? What on earth does he do? Many of us. Even if we've been in church for some time, we can be in a complete fog when it comes to who the Spirit is and what he does. I think we could probably say what difference it would make if Jesus had never been sent into the world. We could probably say, well, yeah, we wouldn't know salvation, we wouldn't know forgiveness, we wouldn't know cleansing from our sin. But would we be able to say what difference it would make to our lives had the Spirit never been sent, had the Holy Spirit never been given We need to see that the Holy Spirit is a person to be known and pursued, not sidelined. He is not an it. He is a person. And it's right and fitting that we seek to know all that we can know about him and to pursue relationship with him. The usual pattern of prayer we see in the Bible is to the Father. That's how Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Our Father who is in heaven. So the usual pattern of prayer is to the Father. But we see others praying to Jesus, the Son, and it's right and fitting that we might also pray to the Holy Spirit because he's our helper, he's our counsellor, he's our comforter. He's not some power, that we, some abstract power that we need to get a hold of. He's a person that we can know and love. Jehovah's Witnesses and other um, religions would teach that the Holy Spirit is just a force. But this morning we're here to see that actually the, the Holy Spirit is a person whom we can have relationship with. And it's so important that we have received the Holy Spirit because it has huge implications for our lives walking with God. So what more do we see in the scriptures about the Holy Spirit? Second thing is that the Holy Spirit gives us life. We are alive in Christ because we have been given the Holy Spirit. None of us naturally, in our own, left to our own devices, would seek after God. That's not the way we go. Okay, We want to do things our own way. And so in the natural, we don't seek after God. We are as the Bible describes it, dead in our trespasses and sins. We are spiritually dead. We don't want to know God. And so it's actually a work of the Holy Spirit breathing new life into us that we might want to know anything about God at all, that we might want to know him and to be in his kingdom. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. In the Gospel of John, earlier on, we see Jesus having a conversation with a guy called Nicodemus in John chapter 3. And Nicodemus is a uh, respected religious leader, and he goes to Jesus at night time, probably secretly because he doesn't want to be seen asking a non-official rabbi a question. And he doesn't even get an opportunity to fire out his question to Jesus before Jesus says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born his rule and his reign and his love and his adoption, if you want to know that now and in eternity, then you must be born again. And you've got to be born again by the Holy Spirit. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. So if you're here this morning and inquiring about Jesus and thinking, what is this all about? I want to know more. That itself is a work of the Holy Spirit. And for you to come and step over that line, and as you put your faith in Jesus, it's the Holy Spirit that brings about new life in you. So the Holy Spirit brings us, new life. It's not some abstract thing that the Holy Spirit gives us. It's not a thing that he gives us at all. No, the Holy Spirit gives us his very self, that we might know and enjoy him and enjoy fellowship with the Father and the Son, just as he does. Just as the sun that we see in the sky gives of itself, it gives light and warmth, so God himself gives of himself. He doesn't give us stuff that's not him. He's given us his son, and he's given us his spirit. He can't really give us a good thing other than himself. So when Christians speak about the spirit being given, it's not something; it's God himself giving us himself. We often talk about grace, don't we, at church, and sometimes we might think it's some sort of uh, spiritual pocket money that God doles out to us. But really, grace is shorthand for God, out of his love and mercy, giving freely giving of himself. It's not him giving us something that's not him. He's giving himself. He gives himself to us in his grace. And it is the same with the Spirit. We must get rid of this notion that God's in heaven sort of chucking down random gifts to us of the Spirit and of grace. No, he gives of himself. He gives. He's a self-giving God. And so the Spirit's presence within us is enabling us to enjoy fellowship with God the Father and God the Son, just as the Holy Spirit enjoys that. Do you understand that? So he now within us enables us to enjoy fellowship, friendship with God the Father and God the Spirit. If the Spirit were not God, then he couldn't do that. If he were not God, then he couldn't enable us to enjoy the communion with God the Father and God the Son. Michael Reeves, who wrote the book The Good God, which I've recommended a few times here before, he writes this, If God was in heaven... And the Spirit, but a mere force, then God would be more distant than the moon. Do you understand that? But because the Holy Spirit is God Himself, He has come to live within us. He is now closer than anyone else could possibly get. But if the Holy Spirit is not God, then God would be more distant than the moon, He'd be miles away. We need to understand that the Spirit is not like some divine milkman. He doesn't leave the gift of life on our doorstep and then just run away. No, he gives us life at the moment of conversion, and then he remains in us so that life will blossom and grow. In Romans chapter 5, verse 5, it says, God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. This is how the Spirit breathes out life in our lives. He enlightens us to see the love of God. The Holy Spirit enlightens us, reminds us of the love of God in Jesus. He, he reminds our spirit that we are sons and daughters of God, that we've received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters. So do you see how the Holy Spirit, he, he gives us life when we first believe, but then he goes on giving us life as he, as he reminds us, as he points us to what Jesus has done for us, as he testifies about Jesus. He stirs us to think more about Jesus and less about ourselves. How self-obsessed are we in this nation? How self-obsessed are we in our culture? Well, the Spirit, He works in our lives to make us less self-obsessed and more Jesus-obsessed. Don't we need more of the Holy Spirit? <laughs> we can be so self-obsessed. What does someone think about me? What do they have? They liked my picture. Have they? What do they think to this? What? what, what, what? No, the Holy Spirit wants to come and point us to Jesus so that we, we make our whole lives all about Jesus because the Holy Spirit wants to point people to Jesus. And so he gives us life in the first instance, but then he goes on giving us life by reminding us through his word and as we meet with him what Jesus has done for us. And it causes us to have life. So the third thing is this, the Holy Spirit in us testifies to others. There's some families who like to keep themselves to themselves, who don't really uh, like to, to, to look out beyond their, their own nest. This family of the Godhead, of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is not like that at all. With, with the Father, the fountain of life and love, he's an outgoing Father. He wants others to know his love. He wants others to know his grace. He wants others to know him. He is on mission. And so in love, he sent his Son. He sent his Son to be the sacrifice for our sins. In his love, He sent because he's an outgoing God. He wants many, many, many people to come to know him. And so in his love, he and the Son sent the Holy Spirit because he is an outgoing, outward-looking God. It's the outworking of his nature that he sends the Holy Spirit because he wants many others to come and know Jesus for themselves. So Jesus had promised the Holy Spirit to his disciples, as we see here, And then he'd gone to the cross, he had been brutally tortured and killed, and then he'd risen again three days later. And then we see at the beginning of the book of Acts, he appeared to many people, showing them that he was alive and well. And then we see right at the the, the outset of the book of Acts, Jesus promised them this. This is his disciples, okay, who a few days, maybe 40 days beforehand, were cowering in fear... At the thought of people maybe even knowing that they were followers of Jesus in the first place. Cowering in fear. And he says this to them in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This This verse, this one verse is the key to understanding the book of Acts. Because the book of Acts is then the outworking of that. They received the Holy Spirit and then they were witnesses wherever they went. In fact, this is probably the key to understanding the world as it is today because millions, billions of people have placed their faith in Jesus and it's changed the whole world. It's 2017 AD because it's roughly 2017 years since Jesus was born. The whole world has been impacted by this Jesus in an obscure part of the world These men and women received power. They received the Holy Spirit and went on to share wherever they went. And in in the generations that followed, many, many, many people have come to know Jesus as their Savior. Billions of people now. Because the Holy Spirit was poured out upon ordinary people. In the Old Testament, we see that the Holy Spirit was poured out only on special people. Special people who had a special mission. Particular prophets who would be sent to Israel to uh, warn Israel and to turn them back to God. But now we see that the Holy Spirit is to be poured out on all people. And in Acts chapter 2, the apostle Peter, who was one of those disciples who was running away, scared, denying that he even knew Jesus, now full of the Spirit, he's preaching in front of thousands of people and he's having been filled with the Spirit. He and his mates are speaking in languages they've never learned before. And now he's saying this about the, the, a prophecy that A guy called Joel had bought hundreds of years before. You can see it in the book of Joel in the Bible. Peter says this, "'These people aren't drunk, as you suppose, "'since it is only the third hour of the day. "'But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. "'In the last days it shall be,' God declares, "'that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, "'and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, "'and your young men shall see visions, "'and your old men shall dream dreams.'" even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, and the prophecy goes on. What Peter is saying here is that this prophecy has come to pass. The Holy Spirit is no longer just poured out on special people for special, uh, particular special mission. No, the Holy Spirit is now poured out on all believers. The Holy Spirit, His power is available for us that we might be the witnesses of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection wherever we go. It's not just for special individuals anymore. We're transformed, friends, when we receive the Holy Spirit from religious people who are simply having a go to people who have the very power of God within us to change the world. This is great news this morning. The Spirit of God has been poured out to enable us to be witnesses, to enable us to tell others about what Jesus has done. So... What does this look like? I want to suggest this morning it looks like us being witnesses in three ways. Probably more than that, but we're going to look at three this morning. Being witnesses in words, in works, and in wonders. In words, works, and wonders. Firstly, the Holy Spirit testifies through our words. Now, you've got to picture the scene. Tomorrow morning, you're at the water cooler at work, and someone says, How was your weekend? And you've suddenly got the choice. Do I simply say, yeah, it was good, thanks, how was yours? Or do I say, yeah, it was good, explain what you did, went to church. Oh, you're a Christian, are you? I didn't know that. What about all the suffering that's going on in the world right now? How could God allow that? What about all these attacks going on in London and Manchester? What's going on there? And you suddenly wish that you just said, yeah, it was a good weekend, how about you? We can think, I haven't got the words. I don't know what to say. What if they ask me about the dinosaurs? What, what am I going to say? And we can think, well, I'm completely lost for words here. What well, Jesus says to his disciples in Luke chapter 12, he warns them that they're going to be brought before synagogues, rulers, authorities. In those times, they're kind of a bit like the media or politicians. He says this, when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities... Do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. So he's saying, don't worry. Don't have to, you don't have to go in with some sort of rehearsed script here. You don't have to think, Oh, let me just consult my manual. <laughs> you didn't answer in the way I was expecting you to, so I don't quite know what to say now. No, he's saying the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. This is a promise we can take to God. And say, if you didn't mean it, God, you shouldn't have said it. You've said here that I will have the words that I need, that the Holy Spirit will give me the words that I need. So when we're we're, uh, sharing our faith with people, we can say to God, help me. Holy Spirit, help me. Give me the words now. Give me the words. We can trust that he will give us what we need. We can trust that. And not just the words, but also the tone in which we can speak. It's so important, isn't it, that we get the tone right We're not trying to win an argument here. We're trying to help people to see that Jesus is the very best thing for them. There's nothing better than Jesus. And maybe people are hurting when they ask a question. Maybe they've got many different things going on in the background that you don't know about. So when I say, Holy Spirit, help me, not just with the words, but with the tone as well, that I might represent you well, that I might be a good witness to who you are. So the Holy Spirit will help us With our words, not just being bold to speak, but also not speaking when others are speaking, when others are backstabbing someone in the office or at the school gate or whatever it might be, choosing not to speak or having words that will be completely countercultural, going right against the, the stream, going against the tide. Holy Spirit will give us the words. The Holy Spirit testifies through our words but also through our works there's good works for us to step into whether that be serving people in our neighborhood serving the poor and the needy might be uh, helping those who are in need that we know in our in our lives or it might be simply through the way we live looking very different it might not be anything spectacular or uh, no one's going to make a film about your life but actually in the way you live day to day God helping you to walk the walk not just talk the talk He gives us power to live the life by sending the Spirit. And in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, it's just before the passage where Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit being love and kindness and gentleness and self-control and all these kinds of things. He says this in verse 16, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. That's a promise there, isn't it? If you're filled with the Spirit, if you're walking by the Spirit, you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. We all have fleshly desires, don't we? Desires maybe to be liked by others, respected by others. Desire for accolade. Desires for, uh, you know, it might be lustful desires. It might be um, desires for lots of food and drink, or whatever it might be. But Paul writes it, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. So if you're filled with the Spirit... And regularly filled with the Spirit, because Paul talks in Ephesians five about, don't he says don't get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery, but instead be filled with the spirit. There's a go on being filled with the spirit is really what he's getting at there. Go on being filled with the spirit. And so if we're if we're walking by the spirit, if we're going on being filled by the spirit, then we're not going to gratify those fleshly desires, which we all have. If you haven't got fleshly desires, then come and speak to me, I want to know your secret but we all have fleshly desires. And Paul says there that if you are filled with the Spirit, if you're walking by the Spirit, then you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. An ongoing relationship with the Holy Spirit is essential for sanctification, for us to become more like Jesus. And John Flavel, who's a a Puritan, lived a few hundred years ago, a bit of a bad rep because it sounds a bit boring, doesn't it, being a Puritan? Um, He wrote this, ecstasy and delight are essential to the believer's soul, and they promote sanctification. Ecstasy and delight are essential for us. And he goes on to say this, we were not meant to live without spiritual exhilaration. And the Christian who goes for a long time without the experience of heartwarming will soon find himself tempted to have his emotions satisfied from earthly things and not as he ought from the Spirit of God. Okay, I'm going to say that again the Christian who goes for a long time without the experience of heart being filled with the Spirit, having your heart warmed to Jesus and who he is and what he's done for you, he will soon find himself tempted to have his emotions satisfied from earthly things and not from the Spirit of God. Isn't that the case for us? That when we go for some time without having our heart warmed by the love of God as we're in his word and as we're receiving from the Spirit, then actually our heart goes after other things. This is what he says. The soul is so constituted that it craves fulfillment from things outside itself and will embrace earthly joys for satisfaction when it cannot reach spiritual ones. I think that's so insightful. This guy's writing hundreds of years ago and he's saying this. Our souls are so made up that it craves fulfillment from other things. It cra- Our souls crave fulfillment from other things. And if we cannot reach fulfillment spiritually will embrace earthly joys for satisfaction. The believer is in spiritual danger, John Flavel writes, the believer is in spiritual danger if he allows himself to go for any length of time without tasting the love of Christ and savoring the felt comforts of a Savior's presence. When Christ ceases to fill the heart with satisfaction, our souls will go in silent search of other lovers. That's so true for us, isn't it? By the enjoyment of the love of Christ in the heart of a believer, we mean an experience of the love of God shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit given to us. I think that's so helpful. I think it's so insightful. When when Christ ceases to fill the heart with satisfaction, our souls will go in silent search of other lovers. And if we're finding ourselves being tempted to, to stray from Jesus and his, his will for us is because we're not allowing our hearts to be filled with an enjoyment of Jesus. Our hearts need to be warmed. If we don't know that ecstasy, then we're in danger. We're in danger of caving into temptation. We need to go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. As we go on being filled with the Holy Spirit, we will look different. We will not gratify the desires of our sinful nature. The Holy Spirit will testify through our lives We might not do extraordinary things, but through our lives looking very different as we walk by the Spirit, then we won't be giving in to our fleshly ways. And our lives will more and more be filled with fruit, fruit of the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit testifies through our works, but testifies through wonders. Jesus told his disciples that they should expect supernatural things to accompany them, that they should expect supernatural things to accompany them. Miracles, signs, and wonders would accompany Christians. Because as we see in John chapter 14, Jesus is going to the Father. Verse 11, Jesus writes this, Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whenever you see Jesus saying that, he's saying, listen up, listen up. Whoever believes in me will also do the work that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. And when you see Jesus saying, because I'm going to the Father, that's shorthand for, I'm going to pour the Holy Spirit out. Because it was only when Jesus had been glorified through his death and resurrection, and going to his Father, that is when the Spirit was poured out. When Jesus ascended on high, he poured out the Holy Spirit. And so he's saying here, you're going to do greater works than me. Greater works than me. What did Jesus do? He... Went around healing people. He had words of knowledge where he, the Holy Spirit had given things to his mind that he wouldn't have known in the natural. He went around doing good to others. He included those that were excluded. He showed grace and mercy wherever he went. And he's saying, you're going to do greater works than these because I'm going to the Father, because the Holy Spirit's going to be poured out. And so we, friends, can expect signs and wonders to accompany our lives ordinary Christians, ordinary Christians, not special apostles, not special people, because we clearly see that the apostle Peter, and he would go round, and it was one incident where he, he walked past someone, his shadow covered someone, and they got healed. Peter was not special. He really wasn't special. He didn't have a halo on his head, okay? You might have seen in some really fancy church buildings with stained glass windows, these guys with halos around, they didn't have halos around their heads, all right? <laughs> they were normal people. And yet they saw extraordinary things because the Holy Spirit had been poured out. So we can expect that the Spirit will testify about Jesus through wonders. We expect healings to come. I'm expecting much. We're not seeing yet what the uh, disciples saw in Acts. We've seen some healing lately. We've seen other miracles. But we've not seen what these guys saw in the book of Acts. And so I'm hungry for more. Jesus never... He never tells his disciples off for expecting too much. He actually says, ye have little faith. He doesn't say, no, you're expecting too much, believing for healing. No, he wants us to expect much of him because it brings him much glory. So I want us to be praying as a church for healing and for signs and wonders and for prophecy and for words of knowledge because these things point to Jesus. They point to Jesus. And I don't see anything in these scriptures that would say that these things have ceased. If you see something in the scriptures that says these things have ceased, please tell me, I'd like to see it. I see that they will one day cease. Prophecy will one day cease. And healings will one day cease. But they will cease when Jesus returns and when we're with him in perfection. When the perfect comes. And the perfect hasn't yet come. And so we still believe, absolutely believe, that we will see signs and wonders today. And the Holy Spirit, he wants to work through us work wonders through us to point people to Jesus so they will see Jesus is the Savior, so they will see Jesus is worthy of our worship. So one one thing we can do in response today is to pray for ourselves that we will be filled afresh with the Holy Spirit. And we're going to do that corporately, but I'm also going to invite people in a little while to come to the front and there will be other leaders with me who would love to pray for you if you need a fresh touch of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you, a bit like this guy John Flavel, talking about um, you know going after other things because you, your heart hasn't been warmed by the love of Christ. We'd love to pray for you to be filled afresh with the Holy Spirit. Maybe you've never known a touch from God. You've never known what the Bible sometimes calls the baptism in the Holy Spirit, where you're plunged into the power of God. We'd love to pray for you. I am um, in the first service. Uh, I said, well, we'll pray for people on Wednesday night at the prayer and vision night, and I felt as I was singing in response, God convict me, saying, why are you making people wait? And so I had to get out the front and say, no, I don't think God's saying that now. We've got to come to the front now. We pray for people. people. We saw God touching people in great ways. We saw God removing pain from one lady's body. We were praying for her. We saw others being filled with the Holy Spirit. We believe in God's going to do that this morning. And yes, we will pray on Wednesday night, but you don't have to wait till then. You don't have to wait till then to receive a touch from God. We believe he's here now. So as we just draw this to a close, you might be here this morning and you might be thinking to yourself, okay, this is all being a massive uh, (laughs) information download. And uh, if you're you're not a Christian, you just need to know this. God loves you so much and he has sent his son for you. He has sent his son for you that you might be able to be forgiven and know complete cleansing from all that you've done wrong so that you can stand in confidence before God. A holy God, that you can know him now and in eternity, that you can know one of these rooms that Jesus has prepared for those who place their faith in him. And this morning we're going to break bread and we're going to have juice to remember what Jesus has done for us, that he, on the cross, his body was broken, and that's what the bread represents, that his blood was spilt for us, and that's what the juice represents for us, that we're going to thank him for dying on the cross for us and rising again, And it might be that as we do that, that you might want to place your faith in Jesus for the first time and say, Jesus, I believe this was for me. I believe this sacrifice was for me. And if you've made that step today, then please tell someone. Please tell someone you came with. Maybe come to the front for prayer. We'd love to pray for you that you would be filled with the Holy Spirit. Nothing to be frightened of. God is a good father and he will give good gifts to his children. And the Holy Spirit will come and do good to us. So we're going to stand together. I'm going to pray for us. We're going to take bread and the juice and then we're going to pray corporately together that the Holy Spirit will come and fill us and then we're going to offer an opportunity for those who want to receive prayer right at the end as well. So let's, uh, let's pray. Thank you, Father, that you are a God who is essentially a God of love and that you, in your love, have sent your Son to die for us You've sent your Son to make a way for us to know you, and you've sent your Spirit now so that we could know you, so that we could have our hearts awakened to who you are, so that we could be brought from death to life, and so that we could also ourselves testify about you. Holy Spirit, thank you that you are within each one of us who have placed our faith in you, and we just... We want to go from here being witnesses of you. We want to go from here being witnesses of all that you've done for us. And so Jesus, we we thank you now for uh, this this great reminder of what you've done for us. We take the bread and the juice to remind ourselves of the, the cost of your love for us, the cost of the cross, the cost of you in isolation, taking our sin and our shame upon yourself bearing our burden we remind ourselves of that now Lord Jesus we say thank you, thank you that you have really moved heaven and earth to save us you died for us Lord Jesus we thank you so much we love you in reply Lord Jesus we say you're amazing we worship you, thank you that you're alive now you're risen and reigning trust our lives to you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in any way.